Hey, you can go ahead and grab a seat. I know some of you are thinking, what in the world is going on right now? We only had one song, and she's praying for Justin's uh, teaching. Anyway, we switching things up a little bit this morning, uh, and I kind of, in that thought of what we just sang, it is, isn't it, have you ever thought about interesting how it is that when we're singing and we're singing like, almost like we're telling God that we are His, uh, like, does God need a reminder that we are His? I think it's more about us reminding ourselves who we are uh, and us singing, uh, I am His. Uh, he is our good Father. Uh, he, has, uh, he has purchased us. We are now legally His, and oftentimes in life, we need to be reminded as believers uh, that we are His. Hey, yeah, I'm, I really don't know what to do without that thing, Daniel, so I'm like a fish out of water up here. I know. I see you bowed up, too. Look at those muscles. Uh huh. That's good right there. The right side is my better side, but uh. <laughs> uh anyway, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to two places: Luke chapter 22, Luke 22, and as you get there, put a place marker there and turn to John uh, chapter two. I want to do uh, two things this morning, and putting myself up front in the worship service kind of gives me a. A timestamp, if you will, because I got to get done so the band come back up here. We'll take communion and all that. Uh, I do want to do two things. First of all, I want to set up uh, as we are uh, thinking about Easter and we're setting our minds and we have great plans for Easter and Ascend the Hill. I'm excited about uh, about the things that we're going to, going to do and be a, be a part of. I want us to, as a church, begin to uh, really set our face in that direction uh, you know, it says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, uh, and as us as a church, figuratively, because we're not going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the whole world, but in that, having that mindset of thinking about Jerusalem, thinking about Good Friday and uh, Easter Sunday. Uh, in John chapter 2, last year, uh, I guess, no, it's 2021 already, in 2019, towards the end of 2019, uh, Ash and I were reading through the book of John together, uh, and I got to John chapter 2, the end of verse uh, chapter 2, uh, and this was, I've been honest with you uh, about kind of the journey that I was going through at the end of 2019, just with some doubts and confusion and, and questions and things like that, and it was John chapter 2 that like, at one point, it like wrecked my life, and the other point, it like comforted me all at the same time. You ever had those truths? Like sometimes, truth, the truth of the of the word is like the most comforting thing, but also the most challenging thing at times. Like this is who, like he's our ever present help in time of need. Good news, and it's also sometimes like it's very like all right, where were you? Like it, like you know those kind of a thoughts. And in John chapter two, at the end of verse or at the end of chapter two, verse twenty three. What, be, what was going on here is that Jesus had just began his, his public ministry uh, when, when he changes water to wine, and then he cleanses the temple, and, and really in, let's see, verse, uh, yeah, verse 23, it says this, now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, uh, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, nor he himself, for, sorry, for he himself knew what was in man. Isn't that like, a, first of all, the, the, the deity of, of Christ here, the idea he's performing these miracles, uh, and John, obviously, he's writing past tense. He's looking back upon uh, this ministry. He isn't doing it as I uh, 
as they're, as they're going, he's not recording. These are him looking back at how he, how he mentions here that here are these people that had saw the miracles of Jesus and they said they believed. And then like John just kind of gives us a warning and says, but Jesus, he, he didn't ultimately believe their belief. Like he, he, he knew that he knew he could see uh, even to Easter when even the disciples would flee. He, he, to flee. He, he knew what was in man. And like he, he knows that he knows the difference between genuine belief and, and fake belief or surface level belief. Like he knows uh, and ultimately there's just a couple points about that is that Jesus did not believe everyone's belief and he doesn't need anyone to explain to him the human heart. John, when he writes this, he knew of people's false beliefs, which is why he wrote this in this letter. And I think as we read, definitely as we're shifting our eyes towards Easter, uh, and if you watch the, the social media post we put out this week, I talked about it there, but uh, when we read these stories, they're not just to be treated as stories of the past. Uh, however, I think that they should be living portraits of humanity. That when, when, when we read that here these people had these beliefs, they, they believed in him because of the miracles that he was making, yet the idea that they didn't have true regenerate saving faith at this moment. Uh, and it's not just a, a story of history, but it's something that we read, and that's the living portraits of humanity that ultimately we can deduce from this passage that there is an, ex there is an acceptable believing, and there's one that God doesn't accept. There is, a, there is a type of faith that saves, and there's also a type of faith that does not save. Uh, that these people believed in the miracles of God, if you will, uh, yet they didn't have a believing, uh, saving type faith. That there is only one belief that God accepts, and we, we read it through it in, through the Gospels. That, that faith, uh, that, that it begins with, with God drawing. Take Luke 9.23 for us. He said, uh, and Jesus said to all, all these people, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. In this, you see a genuine uh, belief, a saving faith. First of all, it says, if anyone would come after me, that idea of if anyone would come after me, what that teaches us is that there's a, there's a drawing from God. There, that if anyone would, if they would have the desire to come after me, we believe that we wouldn't have that desire apart from God drawing us. So salvation, faith begins with the drawing of God. It is a gift of God that we see in that passage. It says, so if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and so there's that idea of repentance of us uh, of us denying ourselves and and repenting of who we once were and then it says taking up the, up up his cross daily and follow me there's the trusting in Jesus that leads to obedience we see what acceptable faith or saving faith is but that is not the point of the sermon this morning Romans chapter if you really want to see biblically what saving faith is Romans chapter 4 13 through 24 is a good place to read. But here's the mindset. Jesus knew at this point every man's heart. He didn't need anybody to tell him what was in the heart of man. He knew that these people had a false belief. He knew that these people would scatter as when Passover three years later. So they're at Passover here. So three years from now, the next Passover, he knew that these people wouldn't be there anymore. Even some of the disciples that they would flee, if you will. He knew what was in man. And so we can even look into John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He knew Nicodemus' heart. We could continue through the Gospels and understanding that there was no, everybody that Jesus met, he knew what was in their mind and in their heart. But listen to me, church, yet he still set his face to Jerusalem. 
He knew what was in their hearts. He knew what was deep within them, yet he still chose to die. He still chose to carry on the mission that God had brought him. And so when we look at John chapter 2, yes, contextually, it's with the idea of these people having this false belief, but we can make a general application to understand that as we walk through the next three years of Jesus' life, there was not a person that he met that he did not know their hearts. The reality is there's not a person sitting in here this morning that Jesus does not know our hearts. Which brings me to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 is whenever we have the institution of the Lord's Supper, which you, if you can see in front, we have our COVID-friendly communion up here, and I'm excited about taking it. And you know, I think this week marks like the year mark that kind of like we stopped meeting together for a little bit. Uh, that's a year ago was whenever we were kind of forced not to meet together. Isn't it cool that a year later is like, no, we're going to take communion together this morning. I think it's just a cool, cool thing to think about. But in, in Luke chapter 22, let me read these passages, verse 14 uh, through 23, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Like, I, I can, obviously, I can't connect to Jesus going to suffer the Passover, but that idea of, of, of earnestly desiring to eat this meal with you, I would say as your pastor, I've been earnestly desiring to eat this meal with you. Uh, but he says, I've been earnestly desiring to eat this meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man whom he is betrayed. And then they began to question one another, which, uh, which of them it could be who, who was going to do this. Uh, what, I, what I want you to see this morning, that even in this moment, John chapter 2, that he knew what was in man's heart applies to even this situation around the Lord's Supper, that he, he knew. We, we see, if we follow this story, that he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that Peter was going to deny him, even though Peter said, I'll never deny you. He says, no, you, you're going to, three times, matter of fact. And so we see this, he knew what was in them, yet he still chose to die this morning. I want to talk about communion just for a moment. I'm so excited, even in COVID weirdness, uh, to take, uh, literally, I don't know if you've seen these things. I guess I'm just going to walk down here real quick. Uh, the, the, like they, So there's a cup, right? And so it looks like um, one of those coffee creamer things, right? And so you like pull the first tab, and there's a wafer. You pull the tab again. Anyway, it's just real, real interesting. Ryan's got them perfectly. Man, I don't want to mess that up. Uh, <clears throat> 
But anyway, even like taking COVID, I, I, I mean, with COVID, I'm, I'm super, super excited about this. But this is the, the meal above all meals. And I think this couldn't, it couldn't be a better way to kind of wrap up a, this, this gospel-driven series that we, we gather around the thing that, uh, that is really the symbol of our, our unity, the symbol of our oneness. The church is never more demonstrated and visibly expressed or visibly expressing its organic spiritual unity and when it gathers around the Lord's table. We think about communion in our day and age, definitely in, in Christian circles, if you will, communion has been warped uh, to be so many different things. Rather, it, it, it's, it's, it's this, and that's just making way too much of the idea that I have to actually drink of that to actually get the, the forgiveness of God renewed into my life. No, that is finished. It is done. I don't add to that. I don't, I don't make that more sufficient. Uh, and then for many, it is treated with indifference. We just make sure we put it into our calendar because that's what we're supposed to do. When we come to the Lord's Supper table or the, the communion table, we all come as sinners. Coming to the place to find or to remember where forgiveness is found. We come as one. Communion visualizes our fellowship Ultimately, we're saying when we partake of communion, we're sharing in the same life, and that it is that life that sustains us and sustains our faith. When we come to the table this morning, we are humbled and we are leveled. We're called to self-examine. When we partake of communion, it vividly celebrates our reconciliation to God through Christ. And I'm thankful that this morning, a year after we were forced to, to not meet, that to this morning we can gather around this table once again. This morning, five things about communion and why it is the meal above all meals, according to Luke 22. Number one, if you're taking notes, when it comes to the Passover meal, if you're asking, Justin, what is it about communion? Maybe, maybe you're not a believer and you say, I don't understand why we drink why do we drink? Why are y'all drinking juice and eating bread and talking about the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus? I want to try to make maybe answer some of those questions for you and why it's so important to us. And for the believer, I want us to just to kind of get the. This, we want, I want to be moved. I want us to be moved by just how beautiful and how great of an invitation it is that Christ would offer us and invite us to come sit at the table with Him. If you're taking notes, five things about communion. Number one, communion is rooted in redemption. It's, it's, it's rooted in redemption. We've seen, you see over and over again in Luke 22, that this is at the Passover. It was the Passover feast. This was the time of the year that the, the Jews would, would honor and celebrate. They would call to remembrance uh, the, the, their history, the history of God saving, saving them over and over again, but all the way back to Egypt, this was the time of the year that they would choose a lamb, and, and that's what Palm Sunday would be, and we're going to talk about this as we go, where, where Palm Sunday would be uh, the Sunday before Passover, they would choose the lamb, like these are the lambs that are going to be sacrificed on Passover, so whenever we sacrifice these, sacrifice these lambs uh, for forgiveness and remembering what God has done, we're going to choose the lambs on Sunday before Passover. That's why it's real cool that, that Jesus rode in on a donkey on Sunday on the days that the lambs would be chosen. 
Uh, like there's so many cool things that are going on in this story. Uh, but anyway, so it was, it, was, it was during Passover that he did this Lord's Supper. And what Passover was, it was, it was, it was recalling God's deliverance of Israel from when they were in slavery in Egypt. If, you don't, if you're not familiar with, with the story of the Bible, let me do it real quickly. Uh, we, we sing a song called Egypt. Daniel explained it last week, I think, a little bit in detail. Um, but God's people ended up in Egypt. I mean, obviously it was through God's sovereign plan because all things work according to his plan. So they end up in Egypt, they end up in bondage, and then he raises up a guy named Moses who's going to deliver the people and to get Pharaoh to a point that he would release the people. There was a series of plagues that God had sent. But anyway, the last one was uh, whenever we get the Passover. And he said that the, you know, the, the plague was is that the, the death angel would come through and it would kill all the force, firstborn sons. Uh, and, and they told Israel, if you would kill a, an animal and, and shed the blood all across the doorpost, wipe the doorpost, the angel would pass over. So that's where we get the Passover come, it passes over. And so year by year, the Israel would gather together to, to remember that God is a God who is eager to save his people. Psalm 86, five says, for you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. And why is Jesus so eager? Check that. He says, I've earnestly desired to eat this meal. This meal is something that they've had, I think he's had for the past three years with his disciples. What makes this night so special? This wasn't, this would be, uh, I think the meal actually is called the Siddhar. And so this would be the moment where they're, they're not eating of the, 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 the lambs that have been sacrificed or the meal prior to. Anyway, that's not important for what I'm trying to say. This is, the, they've been here before. Why was he so eager this night? Why was he so eager this night to have this meal with him? Because it was this night that he would elevate this idea of the Passover meal. He would elevate uh, what they knew about Passover, about, about the Passover meal. What he's actually teaching them is that the Passover meal has always been a foreshadowing of the lamb that would come. That Jesus is the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. That he is the Son of God whom God did not spare, unlike the firstborn sons in Egypt, so that we might be spared now. When we receive this meal, we receive it because we have been delivered. That God has sent his first son, his first son, Jesus, to forgive us of sins. Because we know we're in desperate need of grace when we come to this table. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you in need of forgiveness? Are you in need of deliverance and of grace? Well, this meal is for you. The second thing about communion is that it is initiated by Jesus. It is initiated by Jesus. In Luke 22, verses 8 through 13 is Jesus that tells them, the disciples, go to this place. There will be a man there who has a place for us telling this. What we see is that it's Jesus who's initiating the, the, this supper. It's Jesus who's initiating this encounter with his disciple. disciples. Jesus provides elaborate instructions about how and where to eat this meal. This meal is Jesus's idea, just like salvation. It is initiated by God. 
When we sit at this table, we remember that it is Jesus who invites us at this table. It is Jesus who gives us a seat at this table. It is God who's, who's initiated salvation in our life. It occurs at his initiative, his leadership, and his plan. Jesus had carefully planned this meal with his disciples. And he says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. He longs for us to join him at this table. Jesus' earnest desire invites us to desire this meal as well, shouldn't it? We prepare ourselves beforehand through confession and reconciliation and prayer. Let me ask you a question this morning, child of God. Do you relish at being at the table of a host who rejoices at your presence? The idea of sitting at a table with, with a host that just loves for you to be at that table with him. Do you, do you relish in that? Well, well, if that's the case, then this meal is for you as well. The third thing about communion is that it anticipates the future. Not only do we see the deep history of the communion or the Lord's Supper, not only do we see that it was Jesus's initiative, Number three is that it anticipates the future. Look at Luke 22, verse 16. It says, for I tell you, I will not eat it. This is being of this meal. I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. But he's saying, I'm going to eat this meal this night, the night of my, the night I'll be betrayed, and the night before I'm crucified. I will eat this meal, and I will not eat it again until the kingdom is fulfilled. Do you see that even in this one meal, there's already an anticipation for the meal to come? Like we already see, he said, I will not eat of this until we eat it again one day when the kingdom is fulfilled, when it is finished. And when we come to the Lord's table, not only do we see the deep history of salvation, not only do we see that it is God through Jesus who's initiated, but it also, man, it also cre creates a hope and it, it causes us to anticipate the future, the implication of Jesus' words is that the Lord's Supper anticipates the glorious future feast with the Messiah. This is the first course of a splendid feast, if you will. That every time the church gathers around the table, this is just the first course. And that one day, whenever we, we are called into heaven, we're all together with our Savior, Jesus Christ. There will be a final feast, a fulfilling feast. And this is just the first course, if you will. It'll be fulfilled later. It's like the Mississippi River. If you go to northern Minnesota, the Mississippi River is a very unimpressive little stream. You can easily just wade across it. But even at that point, it's the real thing. It is the Mississippi River. And we understand that as it gets closer to the Gulf, it, and that's the same picture. Listen, this is just a small picture of the feast we will have one day, but it's still the real thing. At the Lord's table in the midst of a sin-sick world, the perfect future for which we long for comes rushing into the present. We hold in our hands this little coffee creamer cup, the foretaste of the future. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 is for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
The present meal heightens our desire for the full and final feast. Let me ask you a question this morning, child of God. Do you look forward to the world to come? Do you look forward to whenever sin is done away with? Do you look forward to where Jesus is ruling and reigning and sin is done no more? Sickness is done no more. The hell will be no more. Do you look forward to that day? Then this meal is for you. The fourth thing that it does is it recalls Jesus' substitutionary death. Look at verse 19. It says, And took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to them, check these words, saying, This is my body, which is what? Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we come, we don't just remember just the external parts of his death. We don't just remember the scourging and the thorns and the nail. We remember that this is my body given for you, the substitutionary death of Christ. We remember by his shedding of blood that it inaugurates the new kingdom, that our sin is fully forgiven. We shared this meal with Jesus, remembering his sufficient substitutionary death. I ask you a question this morning. Do you desire a deeper understanding of Jesus' death? This meal is for you. The fifth thing. Communion table at the Lord's Supper, it forms a new community. So Justin, that sounds weird. Just follow with me. So we just have this big moment in human history where the Lord introduces the Lord's Supper. Like, it couldn't have been, like, could you imagine being there? Could you imagine Jesus getting down and and washing the feet of those who were there? And here he's saying, this is my body that's gonna be broken, my blood that's gonna be shed. And let me show you how human the disciples were. Look at verse 24, the next section. And a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them will be regarded as the greatest. (laughs) Like, I'm thankful for those passages because I realize, hey, that's me. Like, like I don't, like, when you read the, that's one thing I love about the Bible. When you read the, like, if you, some things in the Bible are hard to explain away. But here's not, here's what's not hard to explain away. The Bible, through, through God's leadership, the authors of this scripture, listen to me, they did not shy away from the brokenness of humanity. They didn't just tell the good parts of humanity. They showed, hey, this dude was a moron. And it is saying that God endorses it. And it just says, this is humanity, right? And we can relate to that, right? We can relate to a fallen humanity. But anyway, so this great thing happens. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're, they had missed it. They want to know, well, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest among us? Like, that's what we all want. And then check out what he says. This is, remember, this is right after the Lord. This is when he's done with the Lord's Supper. He says, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. But those in authority over, sorry, and those in authority over them um, are called benefactors, but not so with you, rather. Let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who reclines at the table. 
but I'm among you as the one who serves. What Jesus was introducing about this community, that it was, going, it was inviting us. It was forming a new type of community. It was taking a collection of individuals, of, of individual sinners who were all about them, and, and creating a oneness to them, creating, uniting them under one name. And it's ugly and it's messy. We see this at the table. But what we see is that the, because of the gospel of Christ, we've talked about this over the past how many ever weeks, that it's, it's created this, this fellowship, this oneness. And it, it gives us servant hearts created in us. It's created in us servant hearts and propels us to love one another in humble ways. It creates a love for one another because at this table we are one. If you don't believe me, say, Justin, I feel like you're trying to make something up. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm trying to wrap up here. I promise I'm going quick. When we have this Paul's instruction about the Lord's Supper, let me show you what it starts and it ends with. It doesn't start with just the elements. It starts with unity. It starts with, as the body, taking it together. So he starts in verse 17, and he says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. Check this out. We're talking about unity. And he says, listen to me. When you're coming together, it's divisive. It's, uh, not, you're not one at all. It says there's division among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another goes drunk. What do you have, sorry, what do you, what? Do you have not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, not. Then look how this ends in verse 33. It says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. See, when we come to the table, we remember the gift of the church. We remember the oneness the gospel has created, that when we come together and we partake of this communion together, we're not individual Christians. We are the church, the bride of Christ together. We're not individuals then. Now, there is, obviously, there's an individual relational side to the Christian faith. But when it comes to the bride of Christ, he saves us into a body. So this morning, as we sit here and get ready to partake of the Lord's Supper, I want to talk about a few things. First of all, in 1 Corinthians 11, in Paul's instructions, he, he kind of goes through the same format of Jesus. He goes, this is the body of Jesus that was given for you, and this is the blood that was shed. We understand those elements. But then he says this, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. We here as believers and definitely at Cross Point, we try not to be 
too serious. We want to be a fun place. We want to be, you know, a loving place. Yet we have, an, we have instructions from Scripture that the place to be serious is the Lord's table. Like that's not, has nothing to do with my opinion of Scripture. It has nothing to do with my interpretation of Scripture. It is pretty honest that if there's one place for the church that could be, could be serious, it is at the communion table. Paul says, so let's not let anyone to partake of an unworthy manner. According to 1 Corinthians 11 there, in a, in a manner that, that there's selfishness, that there's sin, that it's all about me, I don't care about my neighbor. Is there, is there sin that needs to be confessed? Obviously, maybe not obvious, and so I'm not trying to hurt your feelings when I say this, but if you wouldn't say that you're a follower of Jesus, then I would encourage you not to partake of communion. Not because I don't want you to, but because he says, hey, let's take this thing serious. And uh, if you want me to keep reading, it says, concerning the body, and he says, verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it's my warning is, I'm asking you not to, because I don't want you to drink warning upon yourself, whatever that looks like. And so, what I want us to do this morning, a little different, I know usually we come down and we kind of individually line up and we dip the juice in and dip the bread in the juice and eat it and it's individual and I, I'm not trying to get away from all that stuff, but what I do want us to do, I want to take Paul's encouragement here where he says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I want us to partake of communion at the same time together. And so what we're going to do is we're going to use that. So if you're this section, these two sections, this will be the aisle that you kind of line up to come down and get it. Just pick yours up and go out this way and go back to your seat. Same thing on this. And then once we all kind of get that, I'll come back up and we all partake communion at the same time. Does that make sense? All right. Cool, I'm going to pray for us. And then as I'm praying, I want you to pray. Actually, I'm going to give you a moment now to examine your hearts. That kind of a thing. Confess sin. Prepare your hearts, partake of the Lord's Supper, Lord's table. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to get down and then after I pray, when you feel ready, you can stand up and just kind of walk and pick it up and go back to your table and then once, back to your chair and then once I think that everybody's kind of done that, I'll come back up and lead us, but no rush. And if you don't feel like, hey, I, I just don't, I don't want to do that, no judgment, no judgment at all. Matter of fact, we respect that very much so. Father, we love you. God, I pray that during this time we honor you and remember how we can look at this meal and realize you've always been a God who's eager to save. 
God, that we can see your great love in which it is Jesus who initiated. God, when we come to this table, we look forward to the future. God, as we, as we center around, God, we, we think about your substitutionary death that this body was given for us. And God, that when we partake around this table, God, you grow our love for the people who are united around this table. In Christ's name we pray.